If you will, turn to Genesis chapter 15 as we continue to talk about a life of faith and our relationship of faith with God. Genesis 15, and we'll read the chapter this morning. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates." The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Father, we praise you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, because we are here to hear what you would say to us. God, we're at the mercy of your Holy Spirit working through your word. Lord, we want to hear from you. God, we pray that you would speak, that you would speak clearly through your instrument. God, and that we would be encouraged and challenged, convicted and joyful in Jesus' name. Well, as we said, we are continuing this study of our faith life, our life of faith with God. And I really want to just jump in here because there's so much in these verses. There's so much here um, about our relationship with God. There are two parts, as you see in your notes there. And the first part that we want to cover is, is our faith in communion with God. Uh, The two parts of this passage will break up between, not evenly, verses 1 through 6, and then 7 through the rest of the chapter 21. But this first part deals with faith in communion with God. He starts out this section by saying, after these things. After what things? Well, after what we covered in chapter 14. 
Abram at this point may be wondering, why did I do any of that stuff in chapter 14? Now, it wasn't called chapter 14 at the time. It was just called his life. <laughs> but he's probably wondering, why did I go to all that trouble? What did I get out of that? What has, what has happened after facing those four kings? Really what's happened right now is that Abram now probably has a target on his back from those four kings. The five kings that he saved from those four kings probably are looking at him going, what a weak little man. Because he had the opportunity to take all of the stuff and he didn't take it. You know, he may not be as strong as we thought he was. Lot, who he has just rescued, Lot, his nephew, taken from that wicked city of Sodom, um, has just gone back to it. (laughs) Abram's probably looking at this going, now, why did I do all of that again? Uh, Abram has no son. There's no possibility of having a son. You remember that Sarai, his wife, is barren. What am I doing? After these things, the word of the Lord comes to Abram. What was the word of the Lord? What, What was it that God wanted to say to his man, Abram, at this low point after the high point of chapter 14. He's coming off of the high of fighting battles, off of the high of, of doing these things. You remember, enduring temptation. Now God comes to him and he's comforting Abram. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be fearful. Why? Well, he gives two reasons. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Fear not, do not be afraid. All of the worries, all the anxieties, all the troubles, all of the low point uh, problems that you're dealing with right now, uh, you know, Abram was not making any of them up, but don't be afraid of any of them. Don't be afraid of any of these things. Don't let them trouble you. Why not? Because, well, first, I am your shield. Now, when you hear God say, I am something, we need to sit up and listen, right? When God says, I am something, God says... I am your shield. He says, don't fear armies, don't fear kings, because don't fear that you didn't get the results you were looking for with Lot, or what's going to happen because you don't have a son yet. Don't fear, because you're not alone. I am with you. I am your shield. You're not out here all by yourself. It's not your job to protect yourself, Abram. (laughs) That's my job. You're right. You're not strong enough to do it yourself, but God says, I am. I am your shield. I'm the one protecting you. Second reason, your reward shall be very great. Abram may have been thinking about how I almost had everything, right? I almost had all the possessions in chapter 14. What did I gain? The reward, the winnings for your work, the prize reward will be very great, God says to Abram. And what will those be? Well, they'll be God's promises realized and fulfilled. You're going to own all this land. You're going to have offspring innumerable. You're going to have a blessing that's going to pour out to everybody on the planet, and all because you faithfully obeyed the word of God. So God says, do not be afraid. I am here protecting you. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. And that's what God does to comfort his servant at this low point in his life. He's feeling fear. He's feeling down, maybe some regret. God comforts him as only he can. And the comfort comes in who God is and what God does. Did you see that? I am your shield. Your reward is is, is very great. What God does, who God is, that's what comforts. That's how God comforts Abram. But notice for the first time in his life here, Abram now speaks back to God. He's never done this before. Up to this point in his life, God speaks. Abram says, yes, sir. (laughs) And he starts listening. He, He obeys. But what comes out of Abram's mouth now is concern. It's questions. Have you ever had questions for God? 
Have you ever, have you ever asked God, God, can you help me understand? Because I don't, I don't want to understand. I don't see things the way that you see them. Abram's not doubting here, but he's having trouble understanding how it's going to happen. And so he begins his concern. I don't even have one son. God, you're telling me I'm going to have innumerable offspring. I don't even have one son. But his, 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 the beginning of his question is, oh, Lord God, oh, sovereign one, Yahweh. Oh, oh, master, Lord, Yahweh, living God. He, he's got his mind straight, right? I'm talking to the living God, the eternal sovereign God of the universe. That's a key point for us when we are questioning God. We don't question whether he exists. We, we don't question um, what, he's, what he's going to be doing in the long range. We already know that, but in the short term, that's what we don't understand. So he says, what will you give me for I continue childless? The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In essence, Abram's saying, God, you are in control and you're good and you're awesome and you're, you're all, all powerful and all good and eternal, but I, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm not seeing what you're saying happening. So the question is, is not how can I get more, that's not what Abram's question here is, but, but what more could you give me? I mean, you remember that Abram was not poor, he, he was already fairly rich, but he said, what more, could I get? what more could you give me when I don't even have a son yet? My chief servant at, at this point is going to inherit everything. Laws at the time permitted that if, if, a, child, if, if a couple was childless, they could adopt a servant and, and the servant could inherit everything. And if they ever did later on have their own child, they could disinherit the servant and the child could, could take back over everything that was going to happen. So that may have been what Abram was thinking here. But the call of this plea here is, God, help me understand. <laughs> help me understand. Verse 3, Abram says, he says it twice, and it's not translated the second time, but he says, behold. The word means look. He's saying, God, look, look at it the way I'm looking at things here. Look what I see. You've given me no offspring. And the one that's not translated, the one that's not carried over into English says, behold. He says, look, again, a member of my household will be my heir. He's, God, that's what I see. I'm not seeing your plan happening. When I look at my circumstances, this is what I'm seeing. You've said this, but I see that. Help me understand. Do you see how a person of faith has communion with God? God brings comfort in who he is, what he does. We don't understand. We don't, we don't comprehend, but God knows that. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to be dependent on him. Abram's saying, I know your word, God. I know your word and what you've said. I know who you are, but I can't see it yet. I'm not in control like you are. Help me. And that's what God wants from us. That's where God wants us. That's how we have communion with God. Not by questioning, God, are you even there? God, do you even care? Right? Those questions that we are tempted to ask so often. Help us, oh God, understand. So God answers Abram with a clarification of his promise. No, this man will not be your heir. This man will, will not, emphatic and clear no. I know you don't see clearly, so I'm going to help you. <laughs> I'm going to help you understand. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, as Pastor Kyle said, God doesn't need us meddling with his plan. He doesn't need us to try to get in the way and make God's plan happen. God says literally, what comes out of your loins shall be your heir. That was, that's the literal Hebrew. Um, your very own son, the natural way, 
will be your heir. So God brings Abram outside to the night sky and says, look at the stars and count them all if you can. But you can't because you can't even see them all. (laughs) There are too many of them. That's how many your offspring will be. But God is here tenderly and compassionately and patiently dealing with this man Abram, this man of faith, who's not perfect, who can't see everything, who doesn't know everything. But God again says, please, Abram, look up. Take the time, not only to get a picture of all of the offspring that you're going to have, not just that, but think about those stars. There are billions of them. How did they get there? How did they get in place in the sky that we can see? God spoke them, right? It was God's voice, his word that spoke them into existence. If God can speak billions of stars into existence, don't you think he can give you a son, Abram? If God can speak all of creation into existence, brother and sister, don't you believe that God will fulfill his promises, his word to us? God's promises will be fulfilled. And that holds true in all things for all time, in our salvation, in our growing in holiness, in Jesus' return. All of it will happen just the way God wants, when he wants. Now, verse 6 is one of the most decisive and critical verses in Scripture particularly the Old Testament. We need to unpack verse 6 very carefully. It's quoted twice in the New Testament by Paul and once by James. This is an important verse. So we're going to unpack it. The first word that you see in verse 6 is the word and. You say, great, how long are we going to spend on this word? <laughs> Not very long, but this is here to show us. Now, now, what we might get the idea of is that God said this, you're going to have this many offspring, it's going to be innumerable, and then Abram believed and it was counted as righteousness. But that's not the, the meaning of this word, and, here. The word may be better translated now. And, and the and is actually connected to the verb in the Hebrew. The force of the verb helps us understand. What, what, what this is saying is, that now Abram believed the Lord as a matter of custom, as a matter of habit, as a characteristic of his life. Abram was a believer in the Lord. Believe is that next word. And it's related to the word amen. You say that word amen after, after a prayer, right? It means so be it. In Jesus' name we ask this and so be it. Let, let it be that way. The, the, the idea is, that is something that's trustworthy. It's, it's found to be trustworthy. It's established. It's a full and absolute belief. That's what this word means, to, to believe. The heart for us here is this. We believe exclusively and only the Lord. I'm not keeping my own faith in myself. I'm not looking to the world to believe in what the world has to say. All of this is mutually exclusive. I believe with all of me in the Lord. It's replacing myself with God's word. It's replacing the world's wisdom with God's word. That's what to believe really means. And that's what Abram did. That's what we've got to be doing as well. The form is important. Abram believed permanently. This is not a mental ascent, like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. A lot of us are tempted to do this, especially when we're evangelizing. Look at all the benefits. Look at all the good things. Look at all the blessings. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I'll go with that. I'll buy that. But that's not really belief. That's just, well, that seems pretty appealing to me. Belief, again, is being consumed and, and, and just taken by this Lord so that you belong to him and nothing else the evidence of his life, acting on the promises of God, even when he couldn't see them happening, was evidence that that's how Abram believed he lived this faith. The next word, we're going to skip counted for now. We're going to go to righteousness. 
he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We're going to skip counted. We'll come back to it. But righteousness means being in the right. It means innocence. Here's what it really means, and this is going to just blow our minds. This word righteousness means meeting the standard of God. Now, what's the standard of God? Is it like be a good person at least 50% of the time? (laughs) God's standard is perfect holiness. God's standard is absolute perfection. You've never done or said or even thought anything wrong at all. This is righteousness, being right before God. Now, ever since Genesis 3, no human being, no person has ever been right before God. No person can do that. All of us are sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No person can do this. No person can be righteous before God. Look at Abram. I mean, look what he did in Egypt. He made a total mess of his marriage. He made a mess with his relationship with Pharaoh. He's going to repeat the same mistake later in a few chapters from now. Uh, he's going to make another mistake in his marriage when, when uh, Sarai gives him her, her maidservant, right? How can this man or how can any man or woman ever be righteous before God? How can anybody measure up to his perfect holy standard? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect like God is perfect. Oh, wow. Romans 3, 20 says... Paul tells us that by the works of the law, trying to obey every command, trying to be really good, no human being will be justified in God's sight. How can we do this? How can Abram be counted? How can he be righteous before God? It's that word counted that we skipped a minute ago. It's the word counted. God counted Abram's belief as righteousness. In in another word, in in uh, another form of this word, it literally means to weave or to fabricate to bring about. It means to value or regard. It means to consider, to, to consider someone, to hold them. Uh, the fancy theological word is to impute righteousness. Credit that to Abram. So putting it all together, what this means is that even though Abram was a mere man, a sinful man, God considered him, saw him as meeting his perfect holy standard, perfect and righteous and holy. Even though Abram was totally 100% guilty, just like we are before God, God saw him as not guilty, but not just not guilty, because that just brings us on like a, some kind of weird, you know, starting over again, and then we're just going to fall and, and, and sin, and then we'll be back where we started from. But this is not just not guilty, because that accomplishes nothing. This is perfect, holy righteousness. That's how God sees someone who believes with real faith in him. This is called forensic righteousness. This is in the eyes of the lawgiver, in the eyes of the judge, the executioner, the lawgiver, in the eyes of him when he looks and sees you, you are righteous, holy, perfect. Wow. That's how a person can be right with God. We can't be righteous. We can't be perfect. We can't be holy, but God can see us as that. Where did that righteousness come from? That had to come from somewhere. It can't just, just appear out of nowhere. Jesus earned that. Jesus performed that. Jesus obeyed perfectly in holiness and love when he was on this earth, and he gives us that righteousness, that kind of perfect holiness of righteousness that we can't give on our own. We can't be on our own. Jesus did that, and he gives it to us when we believe in Christ Jesus, when we believe in God. Amen. <laughs> 
That's how any of us can stand before God and be accepted by him. And it comes to us through faith, by believing as Abram believed. Now, we say that that comes from God, not from ourselves. How does that work? You know, we've said that a few times. The faith that we have comes from God. He gives it to us. How does God give us faith? Well, there are four steps here, and these aren't in your notes. You don't have to write these down. Just think through them with me. Um, As God reveals himself clearly in the world and in his word, he shows who he is. He shows clearly. As we read this morning, people are without excuse. We, We have no reason not to believe there is a God looking at creation in the word. Um. The second part is that God communicates truth clearly. He, he's given us his word, and it's clear. It's, it's um, able for us to understand either by reading or hearing it. And he's clearly shown us in his word that we are sinful and in need of his forgiveness. And the only way we can receive that is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So God creates the world and his word, he communicates clearly, but then he creates our minds with the ability to comprehend that truth. He, he gives us minds that can, that can understand, we can hear, we can process, and we can either reject it or we can believe it. Animals have no ability to do any of that, can they? When we refuse to respond, though, God says we'll be held accountable for that. And you have verses in your notes about Romans 1 and 2 Peter 3 about the deliberate decision that people make when they look around at the world and they see the things in the world and they say, I don't, there's no God. I don't believe there's a God. It's a deliberate decision that they have to make and they're going to be held accountable for that. But not only does God communicate clearly by revealing himself in creation and the word, not only does he communicate that truth clearly in his word, not only does he give us minds that can comprehend, but he also enables the heart and the mind to receive that truth and believe that truth. And that's why you have those verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 4 in your notes so that you can read and study and understand that that's the work of God within you to bring the faith to believe in him. And that is why, brothers and sisters, our faith is not a work that earns us anything before God. We can't say, God, look, I believed in you, therefore you must save me. <laughs> That's not how it works. We, God, I believe in you and, and I have faith in you and that has come from you so that God gets all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor, not me. But we are required to respond that way in that faith. That's what God requires of us. God does all the work, but if you don't respond in faith, There is no work that's happening in our hearts and minds. You must believe God in faith for righteousness to be counted to you, to to be imputed, credited to you, the righteousness you cannot have. So, Romans 4, Paul is explaining these verses. And in verse 20, he says, No unbelief made Abram waver concerning the promise of God. But Paul says Abram grew strong in his faith. Throughout these times of hearing God's word, Abram's faith is growing strong. And he gave glory to God. And here's a, here's a good, this is Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Here's a good explanation, a good definition of, of belief, of faith. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced. So much that he acted it out, that he lived it out, Right? Here's where Paul brings it home for us. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised 
from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the explanation. That's why this is so crucial for us. So what Abram does with this is is he chooses to accept God and God's word instead of himself and what he can see in the world. That faith is imputed to Abram as righteousness, and it works the same way for us. We can be made to be seen by God as righteous. But one of the things that we talk about often here is that with that faith, not only is faith imputed to us so that God sees us that way, there is also an imparted righteousness. There's the positional righteousness that God sees us. That's what verse 6 here is talking about. There's also the practical side of righteousness that faith brings in the life of believers. As Pastor Tom says, it's not perfection but direction. That's the side that we're talking about, that, that God's working in us every day, making us, conforming us to the image of His Son, Romans 8 says, transforming us into the same image, 2 Corinthians 3 says. That's the process that we're in right now, but it begins with that positional, declared, counted, imputed righteousness. And what that does is that should lead us to join in the praise of Psalm 32, where the psalmist says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts, same word, no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the blessing of communion with God, of of being with our great God in fellowship, in communion, when we are counted absolute, holy, and perfect in a way that we could never be on our own. This is how our sins are forgiven. This is how righteousness is given to us. That's why it's without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews tells us. And one more step Romans 14 tells us about. One more step, not, not for us to do, but for us to know, for us to understand. Here's what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 23. Whatever anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. That's what Paul says in Romans 14. And so we've been talking about this life of faith and how it needs to be all-encompassing and and it needs to invade every part of our life because if it doesn't, anything that we do outside of faith in this great, amazing, living God, everything else we do is sin. Sin. That's why, as we often say when we're in the, in the morning when we're eating our bowl of Fruit Loops, we're eating it in faith in this great God who has made flavors and colors and sounds and, and food for us and given it to us to eat, and we're eating it in faith. We're living and breathing and moving in Him, in this great God. Now, that's why that explanation in Romans 4 is so important. Paul, explaining these things in Romans, turns to the life of Abram and shows us the truthfulness of salvation through faith. Abram didn't work his way to salvation. Abram believed his way there by God's work in him. And the Scripture says Abram believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul explains a little bit more the same way in a shorter way in Galatians, so we won't talk about that. But in James... In James, he uses Abram also in his discussion, but some people see it a, 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 really a big struggle and in, in, in opposing views between James and Paul. James says in chapter 2, verse 24 of his letter, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And people go, <gasps> James, haven't you heard of Martin Luther and the Reformation? <laughs> 
James explains in the verses before that, you know, the context, which always helps us understand what he's talking about. James talks about faith like we have often thought about faith before. Oh, the simple belief. Okay, yeah, you've said those things, they sound right, I go along with that. And that's not faith, as we've said, but that's what James is talking about. James says in in verse 22 of chapter 2 in his letter, you see that faith was active along with his works. Faith was completed by his works. So faith was made real. It was made evident. It was manifest by his works. Again, as we've said, faith brings that imputed righteousness where God sees us this way, but it also brings that imparted righteousness where we start to act it out, where we start to live it out. That's what James is talking about. The imputed, the counted was what Paul was talking about. But all of it comes as we are in communion with God. None of it comes from us or is enabled by us. This is God's work within us. So some key points for us in our notes. Just some key takeaways from verses 1 through 6. The first one is that comfort comes to us in who God is and what God does. You remember as we, as we looked at these, God comes to Abram and says, here's who I am, here's what I will do. That's where your comfort is to be found. You know, sometimes we try to comfort one another when, when we come across someone who's down. And so often we, we try to boost their ego, right? Oh, don't worry about it. You're so great. You're, you're, you're doing so wonderful. You're this and you're that. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a time where you're down and someone tries to come and help prop you up, but it just doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help because I, I know my heart. I know my mind. I see what's happening inside. And, and you can't convince me that I'm so great, <laughs> You're not going to be able to convince me that I'm so wonderful, but you can show me who God is and how great he is, how many wonderful things he does. That's how God comforts Abram. That's how we can comfort one another, but that's how it comes to us. Next, faith works and moves in accordance with God's plan, in accordance with God's plan. Faith doesn't sit and do nothing, but faith doesn't go out there and just start doing whatever and anything and everything, right? Faith moves and it works, but it's according to God's plan what God wants, even when we don't see his plan coming together. The next one, bring God your questions. Bring God your questions. Don't, don't be afraid to ask God. God knows everything, okay? You can test him on that. <laughs> God knows everything. Rather than trying to find the answers within yourself, rather than trying to find the answers in this world, come to God. Come to the Lord. And bring him your questions. Don't question whether he exists. Don't question whether he cares. D- don't, don't try to put God on, on trial and say, are you really good? Are you really powerful? Understand and accept that, but then bring him your questions about why you can't understand and why you can't see. Finally, God's word fulfilled is true joy. God's word fulfilled, that's where we find real, true joy. Not in getting what I want. <laughs> that brings me some happiness. That brings me a little bit, but true lasting joy is seeing God's word fulfilled. So that is faith and communion with God. That's what it looks like. That's what we can take away from from these verses after we have believed in God through Jesus Christ to have that, that righteousness imputed, counted to us. Number two, in verses 7 through 21, we see faith in a covenant with God. Faith in a covenant. From God. So when we started in verse 1, who was it that made the first move? God did. God came to Abram and he comforted him, and he did so as describing himself as the shield and the great rewarder. Here in verse 7, God again comes to Abram. 
And then this is probably the next day. Because in verse 5, God had told him to look up at the stars. And here, later in verse 12, the sun is going to begin to set. So this is probably the next day. God comes to Abram and says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, that living God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now again, we need to consider God's statement about himself, why this is important. He uses the personal name Yahweh, Lord, that living God. But what he's telling Abram is, I'm the same Lord, the same God who was with you before, who called you out at the beginning. I'm the same Lord that's been with you this whole time, and I'm calling you here again. I have not changed, right? My plan has not changed. This is the same God. I've made you this promise, and I'm going to fulfill that promise. But notice here again the theme that we saw about faith being God's work carried through here. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur. God says, let me remind you how this whole thing got started, Abram. And it wasn't because of something I saw in you. It wasn't something that was so amazing about Abram. I said, I gotta have that guy on my team. God didn't say that. God said, I selected you and I chose you and I brought you out of the land of Ur. Abram didn't do anything to start it. God says, I'm the one who's, who's doing this. Now, you're, you're thinking, well, why is that encouraging to Abram? Because if Abram didn't start it, Abram can't keep it going. Abram can't mess it up enough to make it stop happening. This is all up to God. God's the one who's sovereign and in, in control and in charge, and he's doing all of this. So, so, Abram, take a rest. Take a break in me because I'm the one who's doing all of this, not you. That's why this is faith strengthening. Abram, keep acting in faith. Keep obeying because I'm bringing all this about. You're doing your part. (laughs) You're doing what I've called you to. Other people will because I'm the sovereign Lord God of everything. Believe. Keep acting in faith. God God is saying here to Abram, I got this. (laughs) I got this. But again, for a second time, Abram begins to speak to God. And again, there's no doubt who this God is. Abram again begins the same way. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know? Again, I'm not seeing that. I hear your word, and I believe your word. I know it's going to happen, but I don't know how, God. How how is this going to happen? How can I really be sure that it's you that's telling me this, that this is your promise? Because so often when God sets us out on mission in our life, in our life of faith, he doesn't tell us what the end is going to be. He doesn't tell us what the middle is going to be. He tells us what the end is going to be. But he doesn't tell us what it's going to look like in between now and then. We don't get to see immediate results so often in our life. But our faith is not dependent on seeing those results. Our faith is not dependent on what we're able to do and what we see happening. Our faith is in this Lord who's made these promises. So this is Abram effectively calling out to God, God, help me understand. It's like, it's like the father of that little girl in Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief. I, I, don't, I don't see it. So Abram asks God questions in faith that arose from his faith. I know it's going to happen. I just don't see it. So God says in verse 9, all right, bring me the typical animals for sacrifice. Bring me the cow, the goat, the ram, the, the birds. Abram brings them out. He doesn't sacrifice them, though, but because he understands this is supposed to be the elements of a covenant. So what's happening here is that God has spoken to Abram what he's going to do. He's promised Abram what he's going to do, and now he's giving a covenant to Abram about what he's going to do. Why is that escalation? 
Why did God speak it and then promise it and now he's covenanting it? <laughs> Why is he doing that? What, is it because, well, God really means it this time? Like, well, he, he was, I really hope I can do this. No, it wasn't for God's sake. It was for Abram's sake. I've spoken to this. I've spoken you, um, to you these things. I, I've promised you this. Let, let's have a covenant, a covenant about these And it was for Abram's sake and for our sake that we see this. So Abram cuts in half the animals. He lays them into rows so that there's a walkway through them and whole birds on each side. And as scavengers do, the the birds of prey come down to try to eat the animals, and Abram has to shoo them away. Now, why do we have that in the middle of this account? (laughs) Why why do we have birds coming down to try to eat them, and Abram has to shoo them away? Because this is the covenant of God that's prepared right here, right before Abram, and birds come to try to oppose it, to work against what God's doing here, to destroy God's work. And, and you know, if, if somebody can't come along and stop God's work, they can try to stop you from believing God's work or acting out God's work. And that's the picture that we have. Later on, it's not going to be birds, it's going to be the whole army of Egypt and Pharaoh. Later on, it's going to be the nations that are listed at the end here of chapter 15. It will be men and women in our lives working against, trying to tear down our faith, trying to tear down God's promises, His, his, his covenants, His word, taking them out of our mind, replacing it with worldly wisdom. All of those things, what will you do, brother and sister, when those things happen? Will you keep those things out? Will you shoo those, those ideas and those, those, the empty philosophy of man? Will you shoo it out of your mind? Will you put your armor on and keep safe God's promises? Or will you let the birds just come and take away what God has said? That's why we have this picture here with God's covenant happening and Abram protecting it, shooing the birds away. So everything is now ready and the covenant of God happens in two parts, a pronouncement and a procession. But before we look at them, look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. A dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, God's presence is coming into this place, so there's the fear, there's the terror, the dread. It's more than just a little bit of respect that God deserves. There is a, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews tells us, okay? God is almighty and all-powerful. But this sleep happens here to Abram. Now, in a covenant, as you cut those animals in half and you walk between them, what you're saying is, I'm going to fulfill my part of the covenant, and if I don't, cut me in half like these animals are cut in half. That's, that's what cutting a covenant is. Okay, in, in the time of Jeremiah, the people had cut a covenant with God, and they said, we're going to be faithful to you, and they weren't. So God tells them in Jeremiah 34, the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. That's what you're saying in a covenant. Cut me in half if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant. But in this covenant, the terms are pronounced by God only. Abram is actually restrained from speaking by falling asleep. (laughs) He's put into a deep sleep. He can't talk. Now, he's awake enough to see and to witness and, and watch what's happening, but he's not allowed to speak. And he's not allowed to go between the elements. He can't walk between there because he's on his back. He's unable to talk, unable to walk, and be part of the terms of this covenant. This is called a unilateral covenant. There is one party involved here who says, I'm going to take every term and condition and I'm going to promise, I'm going to covenant that this will happen. And if not, may I be cut in two. Can God ever be cut in two? <laughs> no, he's the living, powerful God. There's, there's nothing that can come against God. 
God is doing this as the superior one to the inferior one saying, I'm going to do all of this. Abram says, how can I be sure this is going to happen? God says, again, I got this. <laughs> the pronouncement in verses 13 to 16 and 18 through 20, it's the prophecy as well as promises to be fulfilled. These are the terms of the covenant, Okay. The prophecy says, knowing you will know, you need to know this for absolute certainty, your offspring's going to go into a land for 400 years, they're going to be enslaved there and persecuted there, I'm going to judge that land, bring the people back out, they're going to come right back here. So at this point, all of that's a long way out, right? Because there aren't a whole lot of people, it's just Abram and Sarai. So all of his offspring have to start coming around, and then 400 years have to pass with them being enslaved, and then it's all going to happen. But God assures Abram, that's all going to happen, but you, as for you, you're going to die at a good old age. You're not going to have to go through any of that. But God will bring them back, he says, when the Amorites' iniquity is complete. And that's a, that's a clear picture for us of God's mercy. There are Amorites living in the land right now, and they're a wicked people, but God's going to wait for them to repent. He's being patient, as Second Peter tells us. He's being patient. He's not, he's not forgetting his promises. He's not saying, well, this is going to happen later on because I can't do it until then. He said, I'm going to be patient with them. But when it's time, Israel was going to come into the land, and as you've read in your Bible, you know that Israel was going to come in and slaughter the people. And he thought, oh, how could they do that? Because of their wickedness. It's bad right now, but it's, only, it's going to get worse, and God's waiting for that. He's not going to hurry through his judgment. He's going to wait until it's complete, and that's what he says here. The pronouncement continues. God will give Abram's offspring this land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates, um, and the river of Egypt is probably not the Nile. It's probably the Wadi El Arish. That was the border of Egypt. And the people, have, the people of Israel have never had this whole stretch of land. In their whole history, they've never owned all of that land. That means it's still going to happen because God's promises are true. They stand and they will happen. Okay, so the prophecy that God gives is that the people of Israel are going to go down to Egypt and stay there for 400 years, and they're going to be enslaved there by Egypt. Now, think about that with me for just a minute. Normally, we're okay with this idea because we say, well, they were down in Egypt and they were enslaved, but 400 years later, God delivered them and he brought them out and great was his deliverance. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But think about it at a personal, human, individual level. There were 400 years of men and women and children who were born into slavery, lived their entire life in slavery, and then died in slavery without being able to see that deliverance. That, see, that's the part we may not be okay with. We're okay with a happy ending. God's people came in, and then they came out. <laughs> Some of God's people came in. Many of God's people came in, and they didn't come out. And we may not be quite as okay with that, but we need to become, we need to learn how to become okay with it. It's not the first time or the last time, it's not going to be the only time that God calls some of his people to suffer. Sometimes we are people that God has chosen for a life of suffering, for a life of difficulty. We have people in our church who live with suffering, who live with pain, who live with disability, who live with a, an illness, who live with cancer every single day of their life. We have people who have lost jobs. We have people who have lost family members. And the temptation that we're all faced with when we have these difficulties is, why me, God? 
But we understand that God called many people, hundreds of thousands of people, to go into Egypt, to live in slavery, to die in slavery to Egypt. Christians in the past have suffered. They've been burned alive. They've been beheaded. They've been tortured. Just a whole list of disgusting things we won't have to talk about right now or, or, or think about even. But just to get to where we are today, to believe the things that we believe today, people were tortured and murdered and killed, martyred, believing what we believe today. Christians today all over the world suffer in many ways, so much worse than we can understand. And you know what Revelation tells us in the future, past, present, and future, in the future Christians are going to suffer because they're going to be beheaded if they don't take the mark of the beast. God says that ahead of time. It's part of his plan. He said it here ahead of time before the people of Israel went down to Egypt. Come to terms with this, that God is working for our good and his glory, even when it doesn't look good to us. Remember that his goal is to take us as sinners and turn us into glorified saints that look like his son, not to take us into a world-loving, money-hungry, self-satisfied, self-glorified narcissist, right? And, and I don't want to come across as being harsh <laughs> or sounding mean, but we sometimes think that, you know, I should be blessed by God with an easy time of life and comfort and, and have things that I want to have. But that's not God's goal for his life. I, I listened to a preacher this morning. I've, I've tried to listen to a lot of different people, a lot of different pastors on, on TV and radio to know what's going on out there. And this, this man this morning was telling people, God wants the best for you. He wants you to be happy. He wants for you to be blessed. And he wants, just open it up and open up to God. And he could hoot and holler and everybody was excited and standing up and cheering and shouting. And that would be an easy message to get everybody all excited about. But it's not the message that we see in the scripture that all of the time we're just going to have life easy and comfortable and, and the things that we want. And that's not what we see in our own lives. So we're either going to be stuck with, well, God's not very good, or God's not very powerful, or I just don't have enough faith, and in all of those answers, we have discouragement and we have no hope. Or we have God is working out in all of these difficulties His plan perfectly. Abraham, Abram, would go to his death in peace, but there would be many who wouldn't. So we, we are those who trust the Lord God no matter what comes. Or doesn't come. The, pro the procession happens and the sun sets. It's now fully dark. And if you've ever been in the desert at night, you know that you can't see anything. The word behold here comes out of the darkness. There's darkness. And then the Hebrew says, but look, behold. <laughs> this flaming torch, this smoking fire pot passed between the pieces. Now, we're going to skip ahead a little bit because we're running out of time as we usually do so often. But this is a manifestation of God. And what he's doing is this is... Everybody in the world at this point understood these were pictures of God, the gods or the, the idols that they worshipped, a smoking fire pot, the, the flaming torch. This, it's a picture of God. But the, the difference was that nobody had ever seen them get up and start moving by themselves. <laughs> Everybody understood, okay, this is supposed to represent God, but now they're moving. And who is a God like this God who can make inanimate objects get up and move? Only one, and it's Yahweh. So God's not using obscure pictures or an inside message, you know, only Abram's going to get this. He's saying, look, everybody, look at who this God is. As they did, they provided the procession through the covenant to seal it. God said, this is what's going to happen, and I'm sealing it right now. This will happen. 
well, we have much more that we could say, much more that we should say, but this is not dependent on us. God's covenant, his unilateral covenants are not dependent on Abram. They're not dependent on us. So the key takeaways here that we'll just walk through these quickly as well is that God is always active. There's never a point where God is not working. There's never a time when God is asleep or he's got his attention somewhere else or, or, or he lost track of something. God is always active. He actively moves and acts and sustains and works. He never needs to sleep. He's the all-powerful one. He, he, he can't sleep. If he fell asleep or if he stopped thinking all of this and, and stopped making all of this happen, stopped sustaining all this, it would all go away. God always is active. Next, keep God's promises in your heart. Keep the promises of God. Keep the word of God in your heart. Again, as Abram was shooing away the birds, he was opposing anything and everything that would come against what God had said. We need to be doing the same thing. The, the, the attacks from the world, the attacks from the, the enemy, Satan, the attacks from our flesh will come and they'll come often. Our job is not to keep ourselves in, but, but to shoo those things out. Next, live within the life God has planned for you. The life that God has planned for you. We may endure a life of difficulty, a life of sickness, a life of illness, a life of loss, a life of struggle. Uh, Many people struggle in so many ways. Some of those things God will bring us out of. Some of them he won't. I, I love the songs that we were singing this morning. <laughs> whether, we're, whether everything's good or everything's bad, still I will sing praises to the Lord. God is good. God is good. He is powerful. Live within this life. Finally, God is faithful forever. He is faithful Forever, not just forever in the future, but forever always right now. God is faithful. He is in charge. He is in control, and he's good. Father, we praise you and thank you for so much truth. Thank you, God, for the truth of who you are. God, I pray that we would find comfort in you. God, not in ourselves and not in this world. Lord, that, that we would not try to prop ourselves up, that we would not try to depend on, on worldly wisdom and empty, deceitful philosophies of, of men. Father, that we would believe your word, that we would know you. God, that we'd take comfort in not just who you are, but the wonderful, amazing things that you have done and that you will do. God, we pray for that hope to be real and true in us. God, we thank you that you have been so faithful. We thank you that you will be faithful. You are always faithful. God, make us more faithful, that people can see us just regular people, that they can see good works happening, good, good things that we're doing that are impossible for us to do, that only come because of your work in us. Father, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted and praised, that we would live lives of worship and that people would see that as Pastor Tom was praying, that they would talk to us and ask us and that we would be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. We praise you for Jesus. In his name, amen.